and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Biff Naked. Now Biff is an international recording artist, poet, writer, troublemaker, nice girl, dishwasher, martial artist, ballerina, straight edger, tree hugger, bare knuckle fighter, Canadian citizen, and middle daughter. You might remember some of Biff's songs, Moment of Weakness, Spaceman, I Love Myself Today. I mean, she's she's done it all. We talk about how she got started in the business, where her name came from, her outrageous origin story, and she's a cancer survivor. You know, thankfully she kicked cancer's ass. And we talk about our love for Legos, for T-shirts, and um, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Biff as much as I did. And helping me relive my youth today is Biff Naked. Biff, how are you today? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so, so much for doing this. It's a real treat for me. Um, before we look back, uh, I was on your Instagram page earlier today at Biff Naked Official, and I absolutely loved the uh, Millennium Falcon Lego that you had among the, you know, the Kiss stuff as well. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, like all of us, I mean, I'm a Star Wars fan, but not right. as big a fan as my husband, Snake, my guitar player. He collects right. Star Wars. Yeah. And he made me go to the Lego store at 5 in the morning for three weeks in a row to be in line to buy the Millennium Falcon last fall. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, and he finally bought it, and he put it together in a week, and then three weeks ago, he dropped a guitar on it, and it smashed, so he had to rebuild it. I'm happy to say he did it successfully. Oh, good. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. My son and I are big Star Wars people, too, and uh, he has the, the big Lego Death Star. And oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he got that, I don't know how many years ago. It's quite some time, and I uh, it's halfway built. He he just took care of building the little guys while I built everything else. Like I kind of joke with him that uh, the workers are on strike. That's why it hasn't been built that's yet. Hilarious. Yeah. Oh, that is hilarious. Yeah. I definitely don't have the patience for Lego myself, but I like admiring it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then another thing I saw, which I was laughing for a good couple minutes, is your Bob Saget t-shirt you had on there oh my gosh that is my favorite t-shirt it's so funny to me it's so random um but uh i just packed it in my suitcase for our our trailer park boys cruise this week oh that's awesome that's awesome i, I look a shirt it's kind of comparable it's bright yellow one with a carlton a big face of carlton from the fresh prince on there which my wife very rarely uh, rarely lets me wear outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny! I would love to see that shirt. Where did you get that? Oh man, uh, I got that at Target. Oh, absolutely! Like five years, five six years ago, it was just there, and I'm like, oh my god, this is my shirt. And then, right? Uh, yeah, and then recently they had uh, the long sleeve one of like Wham. So I'm like, oh I have, wow! Yeah. So I had to buy that one, and like I wore no it. No kidding. So, yeah, I wore it to like my uh, my brother and sister lost out, and they did shake their head at me. I'm like, yep, pretty that much is, that's the case. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love t-shirts. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they're great. Um, but um, you have such an interesting like kind of origin story. Uh, you just want to fill in the listeners about it. Um. Well, sure. You know the. My parents are um, from South Dakota and Minnesota. They were missionaries with the United Methodist Church. And they met at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis and went to India where they worked. My dad was a, uh, a dentist that fixed all of the missionaries' teeth. So whenever mission mission hospital or missionary people would would come in that neighborhood, they would go get their teeth fixed by my dad. And my birth mom was a Canadian teenager. She was 16. She was living there in uh, New Delhi with her parents. And her church contacted my parents' church uh, to let them know that there was a a baby going to be born and going to be put up for adoption. So my parents said, if nobody else wants the baby, we'll take the baby. Oh, wow, that's, that's awesome. Great parents. 
<laughs> yeah, and I've always been the only Canadian in my family, and uh, and they've been awesome. It was uh, it was a great childhood, great upbringing. So your your given name is Beth, correct? That's right, and Beth yeah, is yeah. a nickname. Right. Yeah, right. Beth, yeah, I've had it since the eighth grade. It's so long, I don't even. I don't even answer to anything else half the right. time. Right, yeah. So where did the uh, like the moniker Naked come from? Well, when I was in uh, my first year of university, and this is in Winnipeg, Manitoba, um, I got into a band kind of by accident. I was a theater major, and uh, a bunch of kids I knew had a band, and I liked you know, hanging out with them. And so I started singing in their band. I mean, it was punk rock. How hard could it be? <laughs> um, and so they all had these cool names. Like, you know, the the guy, honey, his name was Mark Arm. And the guy from DOA, his name was Joey Shithead. Um, there was uh, SNFU, a Canadian punk band. And their singer was Chai Pig. They had all these great names. Um, and for me, I guess that they just thought that Fifth Naked was going to be um, a bit of an eye-catching name that it would encourage people to come to the shows. Because back then, you know, the, the hardcore scene, nobody really wanted to come see a girl singing. And so they had to try and make it sound a little more uh, tantalizing than it was. Because believe me, I was wearing clothes. Right. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was bloody knuckles all the way. <laughs> <laughs> but the name stuck, and I've been stuck with it ever since. Right. So did the name win over like the crowds or just like your performance went over crowds? Bob, you know what? It was it was great. It was both. And uh and the name, you know, was uh was unusual enough that people remembered it. And then, you know, once once we started doing enough shows and, and we did a couple of tours, I guess as they say, I was started making a name for myself. And um I was really lucky, you know. There were uh, there were few uh, competitors, basically, you know, in the in the small scene that we were performing in, and so we started getting on bigger shows and and doing bigger tours, and eventually we moved to Vancouver. So it was uh, it was like leaving your your small town scene and, and going to the big leagues. Right. Was your like family receptive to like you you know? becoming a musician? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my father was, uh, you know, he, he had a PhD, and of course, you know, he had a master's in public health and whined incessantly at me. When are you going back to college? I called him from the studio of The Tonight Show with Jay Leno uh, when we appeared on that show. I said, Dad, Dad, are you going to watch tonight? You know, I'm going to be on. Then finally your friends can see that it's a real job. And he said, <laughs> that's great. Uh, but I just, you know, I really hope you go back to university. <laughs> I thought that's nothing I could ever do. He always wanted me to finish my studies. Right, yeah. <laughs> but your, your debut album, I, that's where I first discovered you when I was working at the college radio station in, in Buffalo. Um, I, I was DJ, I was just doing sports stuff, but we played your music a lot. and It was, it was great. Uh, I think the first song we played was My Whole Life. And I was
Yeah, it was yeah, a big, uh, big fan of that album. Um, do you like still like, cherish that album as much as like the fans do? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. And uh, every song still resonates with me the same way. I think, you know, I was uh, I was very fortunate because, um, you know, the big the big cheese record label guys kind of let me make a record that had lots of different styles of music on it. Right. And um, this, it confused their distributors and a lot of people kind of told them, we, you know, we can't play her on the radio. We don't know what to do. You know, she's got to pick something and stick with it. And they kind of just shrugged it off all the time and said, you know, go see her live and, and it's a different thing, but this is who she is. She does spoken word and, and metal and rap and punk and, I don't know. And I was just very lucky because from the first record onward, all of the records I made after uh, had the same eclectic kind of uh, feel to them. And I have to say that it was because the uh, original label and producers took a chance on me. So I, I feel really lucky. Yeah, that's great that you usually don't hear that often. Usually it's like, song comes out and you want to just recreate the same song, you know, 12 times. That's great that right. they took a chance because there's a little bit of something for everybody on these albums of yours. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I hope so. And that really was, I mean, you know, because our, again, our generation of, of kids, we loved every kind of music. You know, we, uh, I just repurchased Ice-T's Power. Oh, wow. For the, for the gym because I, I thought of it the other day. I was like, wow, I remember that. That song with Donald D and da 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 da. And I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that so I can listen to it on my Bluetooth headphones at the gym. I, I know them. I listen to the whole thing back to back, which of course is how we used to listen to records. Of course. And then yeah. it was the best. I, I highly encourage everyone to go rebuy it. It is so good. Yeah, oh my god. And like he he just turned sixty S so it's it's crazy. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but, you know, then you look at L7 and, and all right. these bands and it's the same thing. And, you know, I just think, wow, you know, these artists were pioneers. Yeah, they truly were. And you mentioned mm-hmm. the, you know, the Prodigy and you know, with Keith Flynn, they they were massive as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They were, they were uh, and I mean, they took the world by storm. They were a global sensation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Fire, Firestar just blew up everywhere, and that song was just like synonymous with them. Absolutely. Yeah, but like your your second album, I guess that that just like took uh, Canada by storm. You know, Spaceman hit number one, and like you were all over. Like you mentioned uh, the Tonight Show. Uh, how much fun? I mean, besides for your father, of course. How much fun was playing the Tonight Show? It was so much fun. I can't even tell you. It was me, Jay Leno. At that time in my life, I had I don't think I'd really met anyone famous except for band people, right. musicians. I had never really met anybody that was a celebrity before. And, uh, and you know, they film in the daytime. And I don't know. We were fans of Kevin Eubanks. Okay, yeah. He was yeah. A, he's a jazz musician. He's a very prolific, you know, jazz musician and, and uh, an amazing, uh, talented person. But we knew him from Flex Magazine. Because okay. he was featured in Flex Magazine as a bodybuilder. Oh, wow. Okay. So for us to be on The Tonight Show, we were primarily concerned with meeting Kevin. <laughs> it was our goal. We were freaking out. We were huge fans. We brought our Flex Magazines with us so he could sign them. Like, I mean, it was like, it was the <laughs> best. And Jay Leno was so gracious. And, uh, just utterly a lovely, lovely host. Um, you know, we I, I saved my uh, my card. He wrote everyone a card and drew his picture on it. Thanks for coming to the show, Jay. Or there was a, I still have it. I kept it. You know, it's like it was uh, it was just a, a phenomenal experience. It was so much fun. And of course, everyone in my hometown watched it, and that was you know that was it. I could have died happy. Right. Right then. You know, I mean, who knew I would, st- you know, still go on for 20 more years of touring? But um, it was it was a thrill, absolute thrill. That's great. Yeah, the time flies. It's crazy that you mentioned it's 20 years ago now. It's it's, it's unreal. 
unbelievable. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, that's a person. Man. That's a whole person. Right. I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, that's a college yeah. person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 20 years ago, I still had hair. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. But, um, you mentioned like Spaceman. Did you like expect that song to kind of, I don't want to take a joke, but take off the way you <laughs> Um, not at all, because uh, when when my manager and I wrote that song, uh, he wrote it with me because all the guys I was writing with were like in death metal bands, right. and he was like, "This is garbage. Like what you're writing is garbage. We can't. What are you doing? Like you can't have a death metal record." And he was like, "Here, I'm gonna just you know play these chords, strum these chords on this you know crappy Yamaha acoustic guitar, and see what you come up with." 
And basically, that's how we wrote that whole record. You know, Moment of Weakness was the same thing. It was an acoustic ballad. It was a very lilting, sad little song. And when we performed Face Man acoustically, right. uh, for our acoustic shows, it's very sad. It's like a very sad... Haunting little song, which I love. Uh, that was the original intention. And uh, working with a producer, a big shot, big time producer in the studio, who was Glenn Rosenstein. Um, I mean, he turned Spaceman into uh, the magical, you know, pop tune that it is. Amazing what a producer can do. Yeah, I mean, both both versions are, are fantastic, you know, as well as, you know, Moment of Weakness and Lucky. It's, it, it's a great album. But, um, Thank you. Yeah, but do you, I mean, it didn't really, like, I mean, obviously it blew up in Canada, but it didn't really have, obviously, the same success it did in, in the States. Um, why do you think, like, some Canadian artists, like, failed to break through? I mean, you, you're you known in, you know, in the States, but obviously bigger in Canada. Like, why do you think that's an issue? Uh, I think primarily because we just simply toured in Canada so much. That's probably partly it. And I had already been touring in Canada. I 
mean, by the time Spaceman was on the radio, I'd been on tour for ten years, wow. cutting my teeth in in all you know all the all the clubs and all the secondary cities. And I mean, I had just toured and toured and toured. Probably did national tour four times a year. Um, and so by the time we got into America, we we had some great opportunities for sure. Uh, we got to you know play with the cult. We got to tour on Lilith Fair. We toured with Fuel. We toured with Days of the New. I don't know for sure if Fuel or Days of the New were necessarily our audience. Our core audience right. would have been probably something else. Um, I think it's time and proximity you know, that that can really help a band, and it really is playing live. The other thing that Canada had, especially at that time, going for it, was CanCon, which is Canadian content. Okay. Uh, they have arts programs in place where it's kind of, basically, they have to play Canadian artists. They have to. Right. And uh, certainly, the USA does not have to <laughs> play <laughs> right. Canadian artists, right. you know, or anything else. So, I mean... But, you know, Bare Naked Ladies is an example of a band that went down there, had success in a certain area geographically and with a certain radio station. And then they went there and they pounded it and pounded it. Right. And this circle just grew bigger. And even today, you know, as I'm getting older, I start managing bands. And I look at that as that's what you have to do. You have to find where it, where it's going to start making the spark. And you have to just keep going back and just keep woodshedding, go, chip away, keep playing. And uh, I think that's the key to any any territory. I mean, we had great success in Germany, and it was well, okay in Spain. It was okay in France, but it was great in the U.K. You just never know. It just depends on where you keep returning to. Yeah, I mean, that's like one of the, you know, good things I look back at being, you know, college up at Buffalo, which is all the Canadian music I was able to, you know, hear just, you know, trickle down through the border. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's lots yeah. of fun. Right, and I would never have discovered, um, you know, the Tragically Hip. I would never have discovered, uh, you know, probably you and just, you know, like other other artists. I'm you know, grateful for that. Awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, but like one, one of your other albums I absolutely love is Purge. And a couple oh, of, good. Uh, Me too. Yeah, a couple of songs. Um, I love myself today. I, you you co-wrote it with the legendary uh, Desmond Child, who did a couple of Bon Jovi stuff, Aerosmith, uh, Joan Jett. How uh, how did you get involved with that? That's- broken doll in pieces as I took the fall for you. You don't chomp, you left me free falling like space jump, burning up in the atmosphere of life. Well, I sound like a philosopher, but I'm a fool to suffer rocker as I let you in my heart that one last time.
Oh, well, at the time that we made Purge, uh, and as well with Ibificus, Ibificus we originally made in 1996, okay. uh, working with Sony 550. Um, and Sony 550, of course, was the home of Celine Dion. So I was freaking out. Um, of course I wasn't such a fan. I was Canadian. Um, and then it didn't, we didn't stay with them. And so instead we took our little Ibificus record and went to Europe. And then we came back to Canada and put it out. But it didn't really have any, any takers for the U.S. until Lava Records came along. And Lava, of course, was, was part of Atlantic Records at the time. Right. And so Atlantic Records, and I find with, uh, with any record company um, that has a fantastic history and a good roster, a really a healthy roster, um, they just have a lot of muscle. And so when they were looking for me to co-write with people for Purge, because, of course, I don't really play an instrument. Mm-hmm. I love words. I'm a poet. I love singing. I love making the words up. But I don't play an instrument. So I've always co-written you know, with punk bands with everybody and they paired me up with Desmond Child, which was a phenomenal opportunity on a million levels. Right. Um, he's a dog person, number one, first and foremost. And I'm a dog person. So right there, I was like in love. Uh, he's a dog person. At the time, he was in Florida and it was just, I'd never been to Florida. It was really just a magical experience. And it was... uh Desmond and his friend Eric Bazilian, um, oh, who co wrote that song, right? and it was so it was so magical. It was so interesting. I was I was very nervous. Obviously, I'm just this you know young snot nosed kid from Canada with these big shots. I mean, they were you know prolific writers, but it was so much fun. And we recorded it, you know, in a day. We wrote and recorded it in a day. Oh, great. Yeah, that's a fantastic song. And uh, Thank you. It's so fun. Yeah, another one is uh, Dawn, which I... Uh, Aww, first, yeah, so yeah, I first heard that um, in one of the like, weirdest movies I've ever seen, the American Psycho sequel. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, and then, because like, that movie is legendary, and then you see the sequel, which has, like, William Shatner in it, and Neil Kunis, yeah. and has really nothing to do with the original. Um, yeah. Yeah, how did did that song kind of make its way into that soundtrack?
have no idea. To be honest with you, I don't know. It's just luck. It's right. all just sheer luck because I'm sure any any movie uh, or publishing you know company that's looking for songs to place in movies or commercials or TV shows, I mean, there's a million songs that could be perfect for the scene. But, you know, if if you get lucky enough to have your song chosen, man, that's a dream come true. Yeah. And then um, you covered uh, Metallica, Nothing Else Matters, which is a tremendous version. I always like covers where it's kind of the opposite sex performs it. It's, I think it gives it a different, you know, feel, and that, you knocked it out Very of the park cool. there. Um, what was, did you do hear any reception from the band about your cover? Uh, they, well, you know, they were... Uh, they were very gracious and let us uh, let us cover this song. And I think that there was another, a couple other female singers that had covered it. Um, right. The version that we did, uh, we worked with Dave Fortman, who was uh, at the time, you know, well known for Mudvayne and and some of these right. really amazing heavy bands. So I was incredibly nervous to work with him. I wanted to obviously, I just wanted to do a good job, um, and we went and recorded it in New Orleans, which was, you know, a thrill also. It was just like, I mean, I can't, I mean, I've just had so many amazing experiences making all those records. Uh, you know, I can't, I've never had a bad experience.
really, it's just always been just so cool and so, so neat. I just love it. I love, I, and I still love making records. Right, and, and we love listening to them. So keep, keep, keep ah, it up. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And you have a couple, you know, your latest singles, uh, Hotbox Girls, also in Heavy. Um, any uh, news about a new album coming out soon? We just finished. We awesome. just finished recording a new record. And, uh, you know, I did a dance record in 2010 that we shelved. I worked on it with the singer for Neurosonic, Jason Darb. He produced a Promise record. Okay. And you can hear the difference uh, just in production because, like, songs like, for example, Sick. It's a very signature sound that that particular producer had. And at the time, I was emerging kind of from cancer treatment and right. and, and everything. And, and then over the years, uh, you know, I did the acoustic record, came out in 2012. And that's really the speed I felt comfortable at. Um, it took me a couple years to kind of shake it off in a way. I had to kind of, I had to shake off my cancer treatment. I had to shake off uh, getting divorced. And, and then suddenly, you know, I felt, you know, like I was a butterfly again, uh, right. back in the, in the mosh pit and doing, uh, doing the rock shows. And it's just such a, such a riot. And the new songs that we've done, I mean, I don't know. I personally feel so connected to the music uh, that we've just made. I feel like it, it takes me back to the feeling I had after we made the first record and the second record, where it's just like, you know, uh, it's it's very artistic. There's a lot of sweeping uh, sounds. It's just, uh, I can't wait till you hear it, especially because you're so familiar with the rest of the repertoire. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it too. But oh, good! I'll make sure that Eric keep, keeps you uh, in the loop. Oh, awesome, awesome! And um, you mentioned you know, your cancer, and we're so happy that you actually you know, kicked its ass. Um, during, uh, like, thank you. Of course, and like during the treatment, like what did you like kind of discover about yourself that you didn't know before you got diagnosed? That I should have gone into sciences. Okay. <laughs> Instead of the arts, <laughs> I should have gone into medical school um, because I loved it. I loved hospitals. I, I started volunteering when I was still in treatment uh, because I just kind of kept getting asked to go and sit with other patients uh, while they were getting treatment. And I discovered I was built for being a medical chaperone. I was built for it. I love it. I love it. I wish it was my full-time job, but of course I got to go sing all the time. Right. I love it so much, and I never would have ever known that. I couldn't have dreamt it. And uh, and to me, there's nothing more fulfilling uh, than to alleviate the anxiety of a person that is having to deal with the medical system or that doesn't like hospitals or needles. I love hospitals. I should be a porter. <laughs> I love it. I love I love hospitals. I love it all, and uh, and I think that as a result, I will always be a volunteer. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I just love it. I recommend it to anybody. Yeah. So, remember where you were the last the time you heard one of your songs on radio? Uh, let me think. I think we were driving in like northern Alberta <laughs> last summer, and uh, and we heard. Uh, we heard I Love Myself Today, of course. Uh, very blessed, you know, that, that rock radio, A, still exists. Right. B, that they that they still uh, will play my stuff. I just, I get such a kick out of it. That's awesome. But Biff, thanks for a few minutes today, and we can't wait to hear the new, the new album. Yay, I can't wait to, to play it for you. And a special thanks to Biff for joining me today. Check out her website, BiffNaked.com. Follow her on Twitter, at BiffNaked. She posts great pictures on Instagram. You can find them at BiffNakedOfficial. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first all 19 Be sure to like the page of My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes. Check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. The show's on SoundCloud, Podbean, and it's also on Spotify. 
on Spotify, just search for Living My Youth, all one word. Go to tpublic.com for all your Living My Youth merchandise. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. I'm not sure what I'm doing next week, so there won't be any promo right now. But instead, check out Biff's latest song, Hot Box Girls. We'll see you next week.